Hey, good afternoon. Doesn't that sound pleasant to you all? I'm Scott Beatty, and this this is Sports Talk. Hour number one is with Lauren Tate. Hour two, Evan Kahn is here. We have a great show for you coming up. A couple of guests today. Coach Q&A, Nick Quartaro, will join us. He uh, He's well-connected to a lot of the folks involved in the Illini's circumstance when it comes to football and the search for a new defensive coordinator. So we'll get his thoughts on the directions that Illinois might go in replacing Ryan Walters, who was formally introduced today as Purdue's new head football coach. Got some audio from that as well uh, to bring you. Next hour, we'll visit with Illinois men's head gymnastics coach Daniel Ribaro. He was Ribeiro, I beg your pardon. He was named the permanent head coach for men's gymnastics. He was interim for a little while after Justin Spring departed. He's been with the program for many, many years and formally made the permanent head coach. And so we will visit with Daniel Ribeiro as well next hour. If you want to weigh in, you're always welcome on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Good afternoon, Lauren Tate. Good afternoon. That's a terrible afternoon, but you know there are people playing golf today. Are you believe there that? are not. Oh, yes, there were. A bunch of them. Here? In this Yeah, in this community at Savoy International. Have you had asked them to get examined for anything? <laughs> well, they need to be examined. There's no doubt about that. Well, God bless them. If they had a good time and and by all means have at it. But I don't know how you can get around out there. Well, it wasn't too wet early. Oh, yeah, that's true. It wasn't too wet. Yeah. It was wet, but it wasn't too wet. Um, I'm obviously continuing to battle this uh, respiratory virus. Uh, I'm on the mend, but it doesn't sound like it. Well, you sound better than you think. Okay. I feel like I'm two octaves lower than I'm normally, <laughs> which might be an upgrade. But anyway, we'll make do. I, I hope I'm... I have found a new secret concoction, and it's called a medicine ball. <laughs> and this is uh, this is available at Starbucks. And I know it has. Well, you can couple- get anything at Starbucks if you pay enough. Well, there's a couple of teas in it, and honey, and they steam the lemonade. I'm told, and this is a broadcaster's dream. Okay. I think where uh, our publisher Paul Barrett's from, it might be a hotty toddy. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> well, minus one ingredient at least, but. Uh, Anyway, it, it really helps for, uh, for the throat. Well, there's news today. Very little, but there is some news out of Mississippi State. Yes. Zach Arnett, he's going to be the new head coach there for maybe, it sounds like, four years, although he hadn't signed the contract yet. But uh, he's a defensive coordinator, and I think part of it is just to try to get them through the grieving process yes. that they have and do the death of Mike Leach, and, and he's close to the players, and he's a defensive uh, uh He's a linebacker coach and also the defensive coordinator. So um, that's what we're going to be running into when the Illini go down there and play on January the 2nd. Um, this is a four-year deal, and as far as I can tell, Pete Thamel was the first to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he's the first reporting it. Four years, it's not been signed like you said, um, but that's a little bit more than a, hey, this is just a stopgap measure by giving them four years. Well, you can't hardly hire anybody for less, can you, anymore? I mean, I mean, here's a here's a guy that would probably take the job for one year <laughs> if they offered it, but they're 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 going to give him a chance to recruit, and they're going to you know that's the key thing on the on the lengthy contract is for players to know you'll be there the whole time that they're going to be there. You may well recall when Paul Kowalski, uh, uh, 
Kowalczyk gave Bill Cubitt a two-year extension, a two-year deal, uh, and then called it not ideal. Now, everybody was in this interim state, and eventually the chancellor and then the athletic director, Josh Whitman, were replaced, and Josh Whitman quickly just went and fired Bill Cubitt to bring in Lovey Smith on a longer, more permanent type of structure. When you're dealing with monopoly money, you can do anything you want. The Cubs aren't aware of that, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Carlos Correa is going to the Giants. Yeah, 13 years. I mean, don't you think they're going to regret that after about eight years? I mean, you can't, you cannot, you cannot expect a shortstop to play for you 13 years. I don't think they, you don't expect that. You don't expect that. Not play well. It's not not real. It's not real. It's the cost of doing business. Well, I don't think, yeah, okay. They're going to pay for it someday. I think, and good for him if he can play thirteen good yeah. years. That's, that's terrific. Good for him, but yeah, no, you don't. You're not paying for thirteen years. You're paying for the next three or four, whatever it is you think realistically you're going to get. If you get thirteen years out of it, great. But it's the cost of doing business. I think all these long-term contracts at the end of it, you find out that it's you're not really happy at the end. I mean, you just have to suffer through the end of it. And maybe uh, Hayward's a good example yeah. of that with the Cubs, and they they're they're in on Dansby Swanson now for shortstop, and now that now that uh, Korea is gone, it sounds like the Minnesota ball club is after him too. So they're they're going they offered a whole bunch of money already, and so the Cubs are going to have to really pony up if they're going to get a shortstop. Yeah, Dansby Swanson is it? Because Trey Turner and Carlos Correa and mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> Xander Bogarts have all gone yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, that was the big hope, at least from the fan base, that this is what happened. Um, by the way, with, with Brian Walters being introduced today, um, our friend Matt Stevens from com noted that there's now eight coaches in the Big Ten who got their start on the defensive side of the ball. But I noted something that the most of the division winners in the last – Well, since it's gone to East-West, the division winners have come from head coaches who have started on the offensive side of the ball. It's interesting. I I hadn't – eight eight out of the 14, you're saying, huh? Yeah. Well, now i got to remember about Ohio State. But, um, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan Penn State, and Purdue this past year were all offensive Mm -hmm. coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't know you can draw a conclusion on that, but you think Big Ten and you think defense. Mm-hmm. But yet, the most championship-type teams have really good offenses. Well, the thing about Bielema is that he's, a, he's an offensive line coach, which would say which you'd say he's an offensive coach, but he I mean, coaches. He was a defensive coach. He coaches first. like a de- – huh? He started as a defensive coach. Yeah, but he he's he's also been a big offensive line guy. So yes, I, I mean I, I and do you really think, think of Kirk think Ferentz that, as an offensive guy? I mean, to your point, I mean I when I think Iowa, I think defense. Sure, I do too. But his son's the offensive coordinator. <laughs> so I I I think that the the one thing that Bielma has is he is a head coach first. Brom was a was a passing coach first, and a head coach second. 
Bielma, and the thing that, that has always impressed me about Bielma was the way he got all those guys a year ago to come back on that first team he had. And I think that that will play out now on the players that will go to this bowl game that might not have gone to the bowl game under a different coach. I just think that the way he approaches things as a head coach, that he, he's very influential that way. Do you see that? Yes. Jeremy Warner, I thought, uh, put it aptly. He he was kind of labeling each of the coaches and their strengths. And he thought that Brett Bielma is the best CEO mm-hmm. in the Big Ten. And I agree with that. I think that's right. I think as a CEO, he is it. He just has a way of putting all the pieces there together. And it does what not you, seem— What you have with offensive coaches, almost, uni- almost all of them— they will hire somebody else to be the defense, and then, as John Makovic says, don't bother me with that. I'm coaching the offensive side. You coach the – that's what he told Tepper. Tepper brought his – you know, the, the first game that Tepper played here under Makovic, he brought his defensive scheme in to give to Makovic to study it, and Makovic said, get that out of here. I don't want to look at it. Just go stop That's the your ball. job. You yeah. stop him. I'm, I'm, I'm on this side. But when you have defensive coaches, very often uh, it's just it just it's just different. They're they're more inclined to be involved with both sides of it. Well, that's why I'm curious what Coach Q will have to say, having been yeah. in those rooms, yeah. because I don't know that an entirely hands-off approach is. While it's empowering, I don't know how helpful that is. And at the same time, if you want to tinker and get your hands on something, instead of letting your coaches just coach and do what they want to do. That's probably not productive. And I don't know, you know, these days, if you're a defensive, you know, people always look at it almost like it's a liability. And I don't know that it has to be. But maybe it's just about how that coach chooses to empower the other side, so to speak, the other side. Well, what we're going to see here pretty quick is, is just how important this bowl game is to the University of Illinois athletic program, both the players and the coaches. We don't know who's going to coach yet, uh, and we don't know who's going to play yet. We've been told there is uh, a likely media availability on Saturday, but this was already planned mm-hmm. um, before the news of Ryan Walters' departure came out. So that doesn't necessarily mean they'll have everything to announce that needs to be announced. Like well, it'll, it'll, it'll almost have to be announced because they're going to be practicing, and if you as soon as you you're not the players that are going to play are going to be at practice. The ones that aren't going to play aren't going to be at practice. So we should know that yeah. by Saturday. Yeah, that's paper soup. But as far as the coaching staff, well, the I think that we may or may not know. There may be some that go with uh, Walters right now, and, and there may be some that never go with Walters. Yep. Yeah, we don't know. But I, what, what, what I'm afraid of is that he might w- offer one of our guys the defensive coordinator at Purdue. And if that happens, we could lose a guy that way. Ryan Walters was formally introduced today in West Lafayette. The athletic director for Purdue is Mike Bobinski. Purdue's been successful when we've been distinctive, when we've been innovative. Well, this, this coach's defense, and I know that's a word here that makes people nervous, for God's sakes, like we don't want to play defense, but it's, it is unique. It is disruptive. It's his defense. It, like just as Coach Brom brought his offense to us, which caused people lots of problems over the last six years, 
Coach Walters is going to bring his defense, not somebody else's, not some variation on some other theme. It is his. It is his unique design. Um, he, he keeps the secret recipe, like the formula for, for Coke, in his, in his pocket. He doesn't share it with anybody else. Um, in fact, he mentioned that it's, it's fun to watch other people try to copy it because it, it doesn't quite look the same or feel the same. He said, but that's because I don't tell them how to, do, how to really do it. And so watching film is one thing, but knowing how to do it is something different. Um, by the way, I think we still intend to play offense. We're not going to just, you know, three and out and get back to playing defense for 60 minutes. We're, we're going to play some real offense here. That, that is, we know that. We know it's exciting. We know our fans love it. I love it. And I'll let Coach talk more about that as, as time, uh, time goes by here. Is he going to make the calls play after play? <laughs> That's if the he isn't play. making the calls, it's not his defense. I mean, you can line them up the same way, but he has a knack for making the right calls and, and the right blitzes and the right formations and schemes. I don't think you, I, I don't, if, if he's going to do that, he's going to give up some of the direction of that team. Well, that was the uh, tension point with Lovey Smith. Was yeah, Lovey wanted to be the, his own defensive coordinator? Yeah, he became his own defense. How'd that work out? Well, it didn't work well, but <laughs> was that because he, he was the defensive coordinator or was it because he was running his defense? Well, the system didn't work. The system worked really well with the Chicago Bears for a while. Yes, and it didn't work so well at Illinois. We went from giving up thirty some points a game to this past year thirteen. That's a lot different, isn't it? Yep. But to me, the punch but, of that quote was the athletic director reminding his whole fan base that, "Hey, we're still going to play offense. Don't you worry, guys. I know you're nervous that we're getting the okay. defensive guy here. Who's going to run it? Well, it ain't going. It's not going to be." Uh, Brahm's brother, he's going to Louisville with his brother. As any CEO would tell you, it all depends on who you hire and who you bring in the room, who you put at that table. Makes a big deal. We'll get Coach Q on the line for Coach Q&A. When we come back, we're off and rolling here on Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. Hi, this is Michaela Cox from BHRA Basketball. Join us Saturday afternoon at 1 as Illinois basketball takes on Alabama A&M right here on News Talk 1493.9 FM. We continue on Sports Talk. I'm Scott Beatty along with Lauren Tate. Time for Coach Q&A. Nick Quartaro, former Iowa Hawkeye football player and has been a, an assistant coach in a number of stops in the Big Ten, Big 12, or Big 8. When it, I don't, What was it back then? <laughs> You're dating me, but yes. Uh, when I first went to Kansas State with Coach Snyder, it was the Big 8, and then what was it in the early 90s uh, became the uh, Big 12. Yep, and now it's, well, who knows what it is anymore. But uh, Exactly, yeah. exactly. Good to have you on again. Wanted to check in with you in the offseason, uh, the, well, the in-between season, I should say, here in bowl season anyway, and it turns out we got a whole bunch of things to process with Ryan Walters leaving Illinois to become the head coach there. But I wanted to pick up with where we just were, were leaving off, Ryan Walters, um, they're just talking about the defense he's bringing along. But, but you know, Lauren Tate just brought up this point. It, is he importing a defense with him, or is he going to bring in a defensive coordinator that will bring in another defense? How does that work? Right. Well, I, uh, I watched Ryan's press conference today on the Big Ten Network very closely, and I was locked into every word when he answered that question Uh, One of the reporters asked if he would call his own defense. And Ryan said, you know, it is my defense. Uh, 
I'm most comfortable, obviously, running my own defense. He said uh, if there's someone out there that I feel comfortable with that would be able to take on this responsibility and I would have complete confidence in, then I would certainly consider that. But in reading between the lines there, and you probably would agree, I think this first year or so he will call his own. And one of the reasons I say that is that's who he is, that's what he's done. I just uh, heard you guys offline talking about Brett Bielema being a terrific CEO. Well, Ryan's got to shift gears and become a CEO and, in this case, make sure that the reason he was hired, because he was an excellent defensive coach and defensive coordinator, that that comes with him. And he said flat out, and he's a very confident guy, as you know, and rightly so, he said, I think I'm the best assistant coach slash defensive coordinator in the country. So when he says that, it's almost like I'd be silly to have someone else run my defense. So that's my take on that. I really think that's going to happen. Is that maybe, if there's someone I trust, is that code for when I bring Aaron Henry along with me from Illinois or or Kevin Kane? Uh you know, it could be. Uh, obviously, that's the, the big question behind the curtain right now, um, and everyone's wondering who might have been offered an opportunity by Ryan to become a Boilermaker, who might be interested in getting that valuable title. And, uh, I mean, you guys know as well as I do right now, there's two former D coordinators in the persons of Andy Boo and Kevin Kane. Uh, but either one of whom could do a super job. Uh, Aaron has not had that responsibility yet in his career. He's a little bit younger. Uh, so I think if they were to stay in-house, if Brett stays in-house, it could be one of those. As you guys have heard, they've also floated the idea of maybe Jim Leonard. You know, people think there's this immediate connection with Jim Leonard and Brett, but really Brett went in there as a coordinator. I believe it was just during Jim's last year. I think it was like 04 or something like that. And then Jim was out of there and into his pro playing career. Brett did his years at Wisconsin and then left. So it wasn't like he recruited them, coached them for four years, you know, all those types of things. But obviously there's some type of connection there through Madison that might be enough if, in fact, Brett tends to look north and maybe consider Jim uh, to come into uh, Champaign. Well, Coach, if, if you decide to call the plays defensively, that means to me that you're going to have to spend most of your time over uh, in practice working with the defense and not the offense. That means you're going to have to turn that offense over to somebody else pretty much. What's your opinion about that? I mean, it doesn't. What's, what does this do on the practice field going into the games? Right. Well, you're absolutely right, Lauren. Um I've seen it. I've seen it work. I've seen it work well. Uh, again, it's all about the, the Jimmys and Joes as to who's performing the duty with assignments on the field with all those positions that you're trying to coach. And if Ryan were to uh, want to call his own defense, and especially the first year or two, maybe bring someone in with a coordinator title, but kind of shepherd him along and let him learn under him very closely – then with some success, turn it over. I could see that happening. But if he ends up calling his own defense, there's no doubt, uh, aside from the strength coach he hires, the next most important hire will be that offensive coordinator. And he truly has to know that 
the other end of the 50-yard line uh, where practice is taking place is not out of his hands, but certainly on a a play-by-play basis in the hands of someone else down there that he's trusting to oversee the offensive staff, the offensive players, the offensive system. So I think I've seen guys call offense. I've seen them call defense as head coaches. And really, uh, you also need, of course, a great special teams guy, and you oversee them all. But you spend your time game planning, X and knowing, and adjusting to win the game on your side of the ball, which just happens to be defense for Ryan. Is that true for all head coaches? Do you just do you, do they gravitate to the side they're on? Um, uh, uh, not necessarily. No, no. Like, like right now, you know, Brett has been a head coach so long that he's involved in all three facets. And like most CEO-type head coaches, he's in offensive meetings, defensive meetings, and he meets with the special teams coach and gets a game plan for the week and sits in on the special teams player meeting. So he can at any time during the game interject something as simple as, okay, it's third and four, uh, go ahead and run it here, uh, Barry. If we don't get it, we're going to go for it on fourth. So he tells him right there, run the ball. And if we don't get it, have your fourth down play ready. So to me, he's a defensive guy, Brett Bielema. But you know what? He's got offensive thoughts in mind while the offense has the ball. And and you can flip it over to the other side of the ball. A defensive guy who, let's say it's Ryan. We're just making this up. And their uh, season opener, which is always the biggest challenge for a new head coach, first-year head coach, and a first-year staff, the opening game. So whoever it is for Purdue next year, if Purdue has the ball on offense and Ryan has a gut feeling about something, maybe he saw something in the opponent's defense in the previous series, it might be on the headset, hey, uh, Scott, you're my OC, hey, Scott, take a look at getting the ball outside here. I don't care how you get it there. Throw a bubble screen, toss sweep, whatever. Get the ball outside here on this next play. So I could see that happening because he's a football coach. He's not just a defensive mm-hmm. coach, and he's got good expertise overall. The other thing, I don't know if you guys caught it because you guys work for a living and I don't anymore. <laughs> and I was watching, I watched the press conference carefully. And he was very direct and pointed in stressing. And it was probably for media, for recruits, parents, whomever was watching, that he was initially, like his dad, Ryan Walters, who was a quarterback coming out of high school and going to Colorado. And it wasn't until there that opportunity arose where he could jump in and play defense. And they said, hey, you know what? You're not going back to offense because he was a heck of a DB. Uh, But he has offensive, you know, blood in his veins, so to speak. And he always fancied himself as a quarterback. And he could throw it. And he had great high school stats. So I don't think that ever leaves you as a competitor. And this is a young guy. What's Ryan, 36, 37? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's still got all that, which is great, all that juice flowing through his body. I had the uh, good fortune of working with him. for. Uh, he was with us just one year, but under head coach Dan McCarney when we were at University of North Texas, the year was uh, 2013. And we had uh, the best season the school had had in ages and went to a bowl game, and Ryan was a part of that. Then he was off to Memphis and then Missouri, and then obviously Illinois. Talking with Nick Quartaro here on Sports Talk. Yeah, I'm going to change the subject a little bit on you because I got into a really good conversation here the last couple of days about 
the the future of the bowl games other than those who would be in the playoffs, the future because some players are obviously pulling out or opting out. Do you, what do you see as the future of the bowl games that are not in the, uh, you know, that they don't have this, the uh, 16, uh, the, the number of schools that they, that they will have in the playoffs in the future? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about it, quite frankly. Um, I know I always mention this, how the games change so much over time. But, Lauren, you'll remember back into the even 60s and 70s when there was just a handful of bowl games, all the true major ones that we know. And then I traced it a number of years ago. I traced it where how it grew through the 70s, 80s, and then with the advent of cable TV, cable sports, the need for live programming, bowl game popularity got even bigger so they could be televised and, of course, provide a reward for uh, a season for players, fans, parents, coaches, etc. And I hope it doesn't go away. I'll be very honest. I don't know that 40 or 42 is needed right now. But there is something to be said. Take Illinois this year. What if the season just ended and they had nowhere to go. And I just think that'd be awful. I think that would be terrible for those guys to know that when they shut it down up in Evanston a couple of weeks ago, that that was it. Old guys clean out your lockers. Young guys, you move up a notch in, uh, in our priority, and off you go into your off season. So I think there's a lot to be said for what a bowl game does to celebrate not just the super elite playoff teams, but those that truly made their mark on that school for that season. Now, you go in at 6-6, six and six, and I was on a team that did that. You know what? That 6-6 six and six we made, we scrapped and clawed, as they say, to get there, and it felt like we were 8-4 and four instead of 6-6, six and six, and we won the bowl game and ended up 7-6. and six. But it gives you something, a dangled carrot out there to keep you motivated throughout the latter part of the season when maybe you, you wouldn't have anything if you didn't win six or seven games to go to a postseason. Well, this this becomes a pretty serious uh, decision for a lot of seniors, or at least guys who have uh, pro prospects, and um, as to whether they want to play or whether they want to avoid a possible injury when it might mean um, an awful lot of money to them if, if, uh, if they go into the combine and prepare for that and, and you know, and get drafted. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a big point of... Uh, I had a, a piece in the uh, Gazette yesterday mm-hmm. to that effect, and what I did was I traced it back to when it kind of first began. I remember the names. I couldn't remember the year, but I did all my homework and, of course, found out. But I remember the first two big names that started this. They didn't even have the term opt-out back then. It was just simply sit out or skip, were Leonard Fournette, the great running back out of LSU, and uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, the great uh, running back out of Stanford. They were both dinged up a little bit in the 2016 season and yet still had great seasons but didn't play every play of every game. In fact, set out a game or two here and there, but nonetheless had great seasons. Both projected to be first-round picks. As it turned out, Fournette went seventh. McCaffrey went eighth in the first round. And so it all kind of came to fruition as predicted. But they did not play in their bowls. Stanford was supposed to go to the Sun Bowl. LSU was supposed to go to the Citrus. And that was the first time maybe you guys and certainly 
uh, me and many other coaches ever heard the term that, oh, my God, these guys aren't going to play. They're going to sit out. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of flabbergasting, you know. Well, it's become a little more popular now. And as I mentioned in the uh, column yesterday, you know, closer to home in the Big Ten, last year James Franklin's trying to get ready for the Outback Bowl against Arkansas. He had six starters, five on defense, including two uh, first-round picks that decided to sit out. Among the five starters on defense was their leading tackler. I forget his name right now, but the leading tackler for the Nittany Lions had over 100 tackles. Mm -hmm. He, too, chose to sit out the game. And yet, not everybody's getting drafted high, and yet this young man sat out the game was not drafted, signed as an undrafted free agent with the Packers, and never made an NFL roster. So I think there's a lot that goes into these decisions. You've got the player, you've got parents, you've got uh, agents. Uh, we can't hide the fact that that's in there. And then you've got confidants and others that factor in. Now, if a guy's a first-round guy, I can see if it's not a, a playoff game. I can see that happening if you're a legit first-round pick. Um, if you are uh, in the college playoffs, you know, we see uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba for Ohio State. He hardly played this year, and, and people are very skeptical. If, in fact, he was healthy enough to play, many thought he might. He's going to hang out, and he did. And now he's waiting to do what you said, Lauren, which is, you know, combine and workouts and all that stuff. So it's a very touchy subject. It's tough on a head coach because he only wants the best for his team. And when I say team, I mean every guy from 1 through 105 to enjoy the fruits of their labor together as a team. And I know that's what Brett is preaching. Now, whether he has every single Illini that's healthy and able to play who will actually play in the bowl game, I'm not sure. But if they're not playing, I hope they're guys that will be, in fact, legit top-round picks and have reason to, you know, be careful with their bodies. Nick, um, back to the uh, the coaching change here. What what do you think about the options for Brett Bielma to fill the defensive coordinator spot? And will he have other spots he'll have to fill as well? Because like we talked about earlier, Ryan Walters may be taking some Illini assistance with him. Yeah, it, uh, as I said, I think if he stays in-house, you've got to look closely at Kevin Kane. He's got the title of assistant or associate head coach for a reason. Kevin left a good job as D coordinator uh, to come and join Brett because he wanted to learn more, get groomed, and put himself in a position to move up the ladder as a Power 5 coordinator and become a head coach. I know he wants to do that. Kevin played for us at Kansas way back uh his last season was uh, 06, along with me. So quality guy, Andy Boo. I've worked with Andy. He's coordinated at, I think, three Power Five universities. Veteran coach, does a super job, communicates well with players. And then I'm not sure if the Jim Leonard thing is for real or not. But I, I, I would like to think that Brett will stay in the house. Continuity is a big thing. Obviously, if they have the personnel, and that's the key now, if they feel they have the personnel to just uh, uh, play the same system that Ryan has been playing, who knows it better than the guys that have been in the room with him every day the last two years working together on game plans and adjustments and coaching points. 
So I think those are, you know, the, the main factors there. Now, one thing we haven't talked about, there's nothing to say that Ryan might not reach out to an offensive coach who uh, has impressed him, who maybe he has a good relationship with, someone he admires, not so much as an OC, but just, you know, to go aboard as a uh, position coach. So you never truly know. Uh, you can't assume that the offense is coming back intact. But there's always that chance. And like I say, right now, people know more about the portal and recruiting and all this because they have full-time people to monitor that stuff. Mm -hmm. But we can't get in the coach's office and be a fly on the wall or uh, know what's taking place among text messages from, you know, one staff to another and all that because it is that time of year with uh, the coaching world. Well, Leonard's going to coach the Wisconsin team in the bowl game. Which, yes. which makes me think that he might know where he's going to wind up but just doesn't want to say it while he's in the, in the business of being the head coach of, of, in this final game. Yeah, that's a very good point and uh, a legitimate one, I think. Certainly it's been super quiet. Uh, Luke Fickle made no bones about the fact that he would love to have had uh, Jim stay aboard and knowing that he bleeds, you know, badger red, but uh, he decided uh, that he's going to move on after that game. Uh, a lot of banter out there, and, uh, you know, the coaching world is he's going to the NFL. Well, you know, those jobs don't open until end of January, mm -hmm. early right. February. So he's got plenty of time. If he sits tight and kind of sees what comes about, and maybe there is something where they can pay what they were paying him at Wisconsin – uh, get him a top power five type job that he and his family would enjoy living wherever that may be. Uh, you know, I, I would not discount the fact that that could happen. Um, I don't know, but it's certainly something that may, as you said, become a little more clear uh, following the Wisconsin bowl game. Well, Nick, there's a lot uh, to process here, despite that we're going more than a month in between football games. So <laughs> there sure is, there sure is. And, uh, you know, as I, as I mentioned, uh, things are happening so much earlier than ever. Everything in the game of college football is accelerated, uh, because of, uh, portal transfers because of early signing dates, all that accelerates coaching changes, guys getting fired during the year so they can get a coach on board sooner. And, uh, I can remember when, head coaches were still being interviewed and filled and they hoped to announce it by the first of the year. But that's because the signing date was always the first Wednesday in February and they thought they had time to still get a recruiting class together. All that is way, way out to sea at this point and things have uh, sped up so much it's, it's just hard to believe. Nick, it's always great to talk with you. We'll check in with you at least one more time before uh, the bowl games. And especially Illinois yeah, bowl that game. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we'll we'll dig into uh, the Mississippi State Bulldogs and see how the Illini are preparing here as they get ready for Tampa. Thanks so much, guys. Great to be with you as always. Likewise, Thanks, Nick. Coach Q and A with Coach Q, Nick Quartaro. He also is a regular contributor to the News Gazette, as he talked about. You can read him in the pages of the News Gazette or online at newsgazette.com. Lauren Tate and I continue in just a moment. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. 
Join us on Saturday for Illini men's basketball during this finals week. It's Alabama A&M, the opponent at 3. 1 o'clock, Illini game day from State Farm Center Saturday. All-American honors again doled out for Illinois football. Today, the Football Coaches Association, the AFCA, announced their All-American team. Guess who's on it? Yes, Chase Brown. Yes, Alex Pelcheski. Yes, Devin Weatherspoon. Sporting News, talking to you. This is the last of the NCAA-recognized All-American teams there are five of those, and, and you have to get three to be a consensus. Yes, which troubles me with the with the definition of consensus. But Well, I guess consensus doesn't mean unanimous. Majority. <laughs> yes. But majority would just be simpler. Anyway, so yes, Devin Weatherspoon is a consensus All-American. He will get a plaque in Grange Grove. Right, a consensus first-team All-American. Yes. Yeah. He will get a plaque in, all, in Grange Grove. He will get a banner in the Great West Hall of Memorial Stadium. He'll have a jersey hung in the Smith Center staircase, all for being a consensus first-team All-American. And he is the first consensus All-American since Whitney Merciless for Illinois in 2011. I don't know why the Sporting News... Decided not to put him on any of their All-American teams, let alone a first-team first All-American. It's just guesswork. You know, I, I, looked at, I looked at that. I think it was uh, one of the major uh, mock drafts, and uh, Chase Brown was the 10th-ranked running back. Mm-hmm. The 10th. Yep. In other words, there are nine running backs uh, that this particular mock draft said are better than he is in terms of the NFL. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's guesswork. <laughs> How many... That's trying to guess what scouts think and what front offices will, mm-hmm. will do. That's right. As opposed to just who's the best running back and who isn't. It's the same as why Kofi Coburn was an All-American in basketball but wasn't on draft boards. Mm-hmm. Good point. We're not saying you're a better or worse basketball player or whatever. We're saying this is what we think. But when those mock drafts come out, don't you think they affect people that do the voting? Yes. You would be affected, in football especially, because you don't know. I mean, how do you know who's the best lineman in the country or the best five lineman or the best, you know, you know because you look at the mock drafts and see who they think the best linemen are. That's why you, that's why you pick them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and well, and make no mistake. What, what else can you do? I mean, I if you're a good lineman, the NFL is going to look at you. And if consider I see, you. if I see that uh, Southern Cal has got a, a lot of good yardies, I, I'm going to look up and see who their best lineman is, and then I'm going to see how how he ranks in in the Pac-12. And, and okay, if he's a if he's the number one guy out there, maybe I put him on my All America team. I mean, there's got to be a way to figure out who the best linemen are from coast to coast when you got people like Bob Osmussen and Scott Ritchie voting here. Mm-hmm. And they're they've got votes, mm-hmm. and they're right here in, in town, and they're not they're they can't see all the games, okay? They got to figure out some way to get the information about positions in football that are a lot diff, more difficult than basketball. Basketball, yeah. you got a pretty good you you see a lot of basketball key basketball players play, particularly in the tournament, and you know 
But football, you know, that's a whole other thing. Maybe Washington State's got a, well, maybe Northwestern's got a guy named Skaronsky that's really good. Why do you think all the teams put him on their All-America teams? Because he's a high draft pick. He's a top 10 draft pick. Why else? I mean, there's no argument here, right? If they think he's a top 10, he's got to be an All-American. That comes first. I thought it's because everyone DVRs Northwestern football games. <laughs> I don't think so. I think a lot of the people that voted never saw Northwestern play. <laughs> and if they did, they might not have been watching Skoransky either. How do, you, how do you watch a lineman if you're watching a football game? There's a lot of Northwestern. You can do it, but I mean. A lot of Northwestern fans that never saw Northwestern play this year. That's <laughs> true. One in 11. One in 11. My goodness. Anyway, well, volleyball coach Chris Thomas has put out a tweet. He's got a bone to pick with the volleyball All-Americans. Um, <clears throat> he thinks Raina Terry was overlooked. She's really good. First in points per set. Uh, top of the Big Ten again in aces. and uh, Aces being serves? Yeah. Okay. And uh, he just said, I'm not sure there's anyone that did more for their team this year than Raina Terry did for Illinois. And that's, a, that's a really good point, but there were probably were better players than her, but maybe nobody was did more for their team. Yeah, but the list that is honorable mention is huge, let alone first, second, and third teamers. Probably room for her there. Um, I'm going to guess it doesn't hurt if you're a team that makes the tournament and gets oh, more yeah. coverage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the voting for Illinois this year was voted. The, the, the voting thinking was during a time when Illinois looked like they were going to be in the, in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, I mean, you don't, you don't come to these decisions in the final game. You, you're, you're forming opinions as you go along. And, or you're having to alter your preconceived opinions. Well, yeah, you, that's right. That's right. I don't know anything about what Alabama is next year. But I assume they're a top ten team next year. Yeah, they'll have an All American lineman somewhere. <laughs> if you had to give me a top twenty five preseason for next year, I don't know. I haven't done anything on that. Mm-hmm. But I assume they're top ten. I could be way off, or I could be right on because that's what they usually are. Back to wrap uh, the first hour in a moment. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. Join us for the bowl game, the ReliaQuest Bowl game, Illinois and Mississippi State on January two. Right here on DWS. Lauren, we'll do it again tomorrow. Okay, I'll be here. Coming up, Hour 2 of Sports Talk. Evan's in. We'll also visit with new Illini men's gymnastics head coach, Daniel Ribeiro. WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Here's a news update.